everybody, welcome to week three of Political Reform. Uh, in this part of the course, oh wait, stop, gotta do it first, of course. Self-quarantine cut-up, day 32, entering month number two uh, as we enter week number three of the course. I hope everybody's staying sane and healthy in these bizarre and uncertain times. Uh, I'm trying to do that myself, feeling a lot of the challenges. Uh, we're going through a lot of social, political, and personal challenges at this point, and uh, that actually is kind of a segue into today's lecture because in this part of the course for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about, I'm going to be talking about, there's no we, there's just me and an iPhone and an empty dining room, uh, but I'm going to be talking about and you're going to be reflecting on and reading about uh, some proposals to make changes to our political system. And what I want to do is I want to walk through Specifically today, I want to be very systematic about it, but I want to walk through each of these proposals and uh, imagine them as political reform efforts that are actually being undertaken or that could be undertaken or that will be undertaken. Today's class is imagining a proportionally elected Oregon legislature. Um, we're going to do more than imagine it, right? Imagining is just saying, well, what if the future looked like that, right? We're going to imagine not just it being the case, but we're going to imagine actually getting there. Um, and it's this kind of uh, strategic imagination that we're going to be engaging in over the next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, I'm just going to jump right in. I have the few things on the board already. I have a piece of chalk here. I'm not going to use much chalk today. But uh, when you are engaging in political reform, when you want to get from here to there, right? there's something that's, that's happening and you are dissatisfied with it for uh, particular reasons and that it doesn't match sort of what... Uh, your ideas uh, in democratic theory tell you that the democratic system should be like or would be better to be, uh, and you have a critique of the process or the institutions or the rules, or whatever it happens to be, and you come up with an idea that would reshape the political uh, system, you have to uh, get there, right? Otherwise, it's just, you know, it's just uh, sitting around drinks or coffee and talking about a better world and never moving towards it. Um, every proposal we're going to look at has, in my view, some kind of genuine, authentic pathway to being really done, or I wouldn't be talking about it. We're not doing pie-in-the-sky kind of things. We're not talking about uh, like something that I consider to be completely off the bench, like getting rid of the Electoral College or you know, writing a new constitution for the United States. Things which are theoretically possible, but they're so pie-in-the-sky. We're going to be looking at things that I consider to be in the realm of the possible, uh, and even though they might be difficult, and we're going to, I'm going to talk about the uh, different obstacles and the different heights of the hill to climb, but all of these things are sensible potential political reforms, um, especially when measured against political reforms that have taken place in uh, the United States over the last couple hundred years and over the last hundred years. So um, the proportionally elected Oregon legislature, that's the proposal. Okay, so what the proposal really is, is going from a district-based winner-take-all system to proportional representation. And uh, at this point, I am not going to run through the entirety of what proportional representation looks like because you should know the basics of how it works. Um, you, it's, I talked about that type of electoral system uh, last week, and also you should just have, the, the, you had some reading on it. I'm not going to offer a lot of specifics in this proposal, uh, because I really am I'm looking more at the, the, these two stages. Uh, but just know that if, I, if we're going to do this, this is the general proposal. 
And then the question is, well, what are the specifics? Okay, so, and I'm going to leave the details blank for today. But um, there are, I'll just point out a couple of possible avenues. One is that we actually say, okay, we have two houses in the Oregon legislature. And it's a bicameral legislature that uh, has two different groups of people with different election cycles and different constituencies. Uh, and in order to be able to get a law passed to go to the governor for signature, both of those groups of people have to agree. And that's problematic because a bicameral legislature is already status quo oriented. And then it's, uh, we have a two-party system that results from the district-based winner-take-all system. Uh, and so what we end up getting is we end up getting one or the other party uh, being in control of either one or both of uh, the houses of the legislature. And that is not, here's the critique, I'm not saying that I believe this, though if there's party that does, but that is not a good decision-making mechanism for a state in the 21st century that has real problems that need to be solved in a more uh, effective and efficient type of way. So that's the critique. The other critique is that um, this district-based winner-take-all system uh, is fundamentally alienating for a lot of voters, right? If you're a Republican in a safe Democratic seat or vice versa, you're a, you're a loser. You succumb to the loser problem where you vote for somebody and they never win, and because the people you vote for never win, the people who win don't think of you as important to their electoral uh, base. Uh, if you're not a swing voter, uh, swing voters aren't losers, swing voters are the real winners in, in, in this particular system. Um, if you're not a swing voter, uh, or you're not actually being represented by the winning side, then you are not fully disenfranchised, but you are in a, in a big way functionally disenfranchised. So, two critiques, um, and one thing I want to point out is that down here at the messaging and argument, one of the things that we're going to be looking at is what is the theoretical critique, okay, and that's part of the argument. And that actually should come from the proposal, right? Uh, because prior to the proposal is actually the critique. Why are we developing this proposal in the first place? Why am I imagining a proportionally elected Oregon legislature if I'm not dissatisfied with the district-based winner-take-all uh, bicameral legislature? So the critique is, you know, obviously I wasn't as prepared as I would like to have been for class today because I would have thought that as my first bullet point. But the critique has to come prior to the proposal, and then that will actually inform part of our argument. Now, I put messaging slash argument. The messaging doesn't necessarily have to be borrowed directly from the argument. Sometimes the best messaging is not to just take the critique that led you to develop this proposal and pass it out to people. There's going to be uh, some processing of, of what that particular argument uh, might happen to be. Um, so, so we have our theoret theoretical critique, and then we also might have practical problems. Those are going to be two of the components of your argument. And in this particular case, I have a theoretical critique that this is not a good democratic system. Uh, it alienates a lot of voters, or it, dis it, it functionally disenfranchises a lot of voters. And then my practical critique is that this uh, uh, bicameral legislature that is dominated in, one, in each of the houses by a particular majority party in a two-party system is not a good way to go about making policy in the 21st century policy environment. Now, I will have to, I would have to make those arguments more detailed and deepen them. I'm not going to do that today. I'll leave that up to you to, to imagine it. But that's the, the, that's the basic sketch of what, those, uh, of what the uh, argument would look like, the theoretical critique and the practical problems. 
then I'm going to want to have a proposal with details. So there are a number of avenues. One, I could say, I want to get rid of the bicameral legislature and have a unicameral legislature that is proportionally elected. Or I could accept that the bicameral legislature, while it is potentially problematic, is going to be less problematic if we, one, elect both uh, chambers proportionally. Or two, and I think more sensibly, we elect one of those two chambers uh, proportionally and we leave the other one uh, district-based winner-take-all system. And that's the, that's the one I'm going to discuss. It's not the only one, right? We could, we, we could go with unicameral legislature fully proportionally elected, uh, bicameral legislature where both chambers are proportionally elected. Um, but, and the reason why I think that that was less sensible than bicameral with one elected proportionally and the other, the other elected district-based is because um, I think there are benefits to the district-based winner-take-all system that people who are elected to represent a place and a particular constituency will think through uh, policy problems uh, differently. Now, if the details are going to be a uh, proportionally elected house and a district-based uh, senate, and we're going to have 60 seats here and 30 seats here, that's my details. And then there's going to be more details beyond that, but that's my basic sort of just district-based to PR, here's my more specific version. So I won't go through the next iteration of detail, which is, okay, now we have to actually talk about how, you know, who, how we're going to figure out what the district-based Senate's going to look like, uh, what is going to be the threshold, are we going to have, uh, what kind of voting are we going to have, what kind of regulations do we expect for uh, party behavior in a proportionally elected system, who's going to make that decision, um, is that going to be a separate ballot measure. I'm going to leave all those details, which are necessary, I'm going to leave them off today because I really want to work through this process sort of so you can see the most general basic process uh, and then understand that this process is really only a sketch of what the actual political reform would be. You'll see that it's already going to be complex enough, right, even, without, even, even with the relatively simplified version of it. So this is what our proposal is. And it comes from the critique, and the critique itself helps provide an argument. Does the argument give us our messaging? Well, it at least gives us a starting point where we can begin uh, thinking, okay, well, here's the, here's the reason we want this. Let's tr start trying out how we're going to message this uh, to uh, the voters. What's the avenue? Well, generally, when you have a specific proposal, you don't choose your avenue. Your avenue gets chosen by the nature of the proposal. Um, can we choose to go judicial here? No, right? There's, there's nothing in the Oregon or the U.S. Constitution that would make it possible to achieve this reform uh, via some kind of act of judicial review. So that's off the board. Statutory is also off the board because the reason we have the Oregon uh, legislature as a bicameral district-based uh, House and district-based Senate is because of the Oregon Constitution, not because of statute. So we're, we're looking to change the electoral system in a more fundamental way than statutory change would allow us. Um, so clearly we have to go constitutional. What's great about this proposal compared to, say, proposing this for the U.S. Congress is that our constitutional avenue allows us to open up to a second uh, avenue or allows us to actually pursue a different avenue than the hardest one, which is direct democracy. 
Because in Oregon, you can amend the Constitution with a ballot initiative. Now, there are uh, requirements for a constitutional initiative that are different and harder than for a regular ballot initiative. So to make this change is going to be a taller hill to climb than legalizing marijuana in Oregon, at least in terms of the, the, the basic process. The percentage of signatures, uh, the uh, difficulties of uh, making sure it survives legal challenges, um, the single issue uh, uh, um, requirement. So we can do it. There is a direct democratic constitutional mechanism in the Oregon Constitution. A, a decent chunk of states have multiple options for amending their constitution, and this is uh, uh, one of them that's available in Oregon is the direct democratic route. So it's lucky. We, we're, we're climbing the tallest hill because we're making the most foundational change. But the Oregon Constitution itself is open-ended enough. And this itself is a result of a successful political reform from a little over 100 years ago when the Oregon system was put in place when direct democracy was introduced in the United States. First, it was introduced in Oregon. That's why it's called the Oregon system. Um, be proud of that as Oregonians. If you're not Oregonians, uh, then be you know proud of us for doing it. Not us, me, because I wasn't around. Um, but us, Oregon, and our political culture. Uh, there was a mechanism not just for getting uh, direct democratic changes to the laws, but to the Constitution itself. And because constitutional changes are more foundational and more important, and therefore there ought to be a, a higher hurdle, there is a slightly taller hill to climb. But luckily, our proposal, the nature of the proposal, gives us the avenue. Right. So we have a critique. The critique tells us what our proposal is. The nature of the proposal tells us what avenue is available to us. Um, sometimes there might be multiple avenues, right? I'm not saying that, that the proposal will always narrow down to a single avenue, um, but uh, it, it often does. Uh, and in this case, it narrows down to a single avenue, the constitutional, but our constitutional uh, um, avenue in Oregon has two pathways, and we can take the easier of the two pathways. Um, so, what do we need? We need to, one, before we even get started, Right, partly the mechanism here is going to be a ballot measure campaign. Right. The avenue itself is going to tell us what the mechanism is going to be. Um, if we're going to do direct democratic constitutional change, we need a ballot measure. And we know that that ballot measure campaign is going to have to gather a certain percentage of signatures, and it's going to have to adhere to a certain set of legal requirements. Okay? And again, I'm not going to, I don't want to messy the board too much, but just know that the mechanism, uh, everything, everything I point out today will be slightly or incredibly more complex in the real world. But one of the things is, is what, when you're doing a ballot measure campaign to change the Constitution, you're going to have to get signatures and you're going to have to withstand legal challenges and go through, go through legal hurdles and uh, uh, work with the Secretary of State's office on all the things that are required to get a ballot measure campaign. Uh, prior to the mechanism though, prior to even having a ballot measure campaign, and the reason why I put it second here, even though I've talked about it first, is that when you have any political reform, once you've specified what it is, right? This is the specification uh, stage here. Um, in order to be able to then put it into action, you need a coalition and you need a coalition first. You don't start with the mechanism. You don't jump right in. I mean, you can, right? It's, 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 it's allowed. There's no rule against it. But I'm talking about what it will take to actually take a proposal 
that you have first in your brain, and you could be you as an individual, you could be you as a, as a group of people who actually have all have the same critique and the problems that they point out. You have something in your brain, and you don't want to immediately jump from here's my idea to let's put together a ballot measure, right? First, you have to specify the details, figure out what the avenue is, look at what the mechanism is going to be, but in, in, in order to have the highest chance for success, the thing that you're going to want to do first is build a coalition. And the reason why you're going to want to build the coalition is because one, it's going to make it easier to actually put together a ballot measure campaign if you have a lot of supporters already. Um, if you decide, well, we're going to put together our organization, we're going to give it a name, we're going to get an office, we're going to, we're going to write the ballot measure, um, and then we're going to seek the coalition, a couple of things could happen. One, either a lot of people who are potentially in your coalition will be dissatisfied. They'll be like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. Um, and uh, you know, another thing could be that they could say, oh yeah, you know, we will join your, we will join your campaign, but it has to change in this direction. In order to, in order to win our support and our energy and our resources uh, and our name, you're going to have to do things differently. Uh, and this is where, with the coalition. You want to reach out to potentially supportive groups. Outreach to potential supporters. The more broad-based your coalition, the more likely you are to have success. One of the things that is problematic for a lot of political reform movements is that there's a reluctance to be broad-based. Uh, there is a natural inclination, psychologically and politically, to stick with the people who are closest to you, who are most likely, who are ideologically aligned, who you're already familiar with, who possibly you've worked with on other uh, um, political reforms or other types of reforms, like you know, groups that, that you've worked with on healthcare reform or education reform or some kind of advocacy, it's gonna be natural to, to flock to them. And also if you are, let's say you're coming at this, you're, you're, a, you're a progressive group, you're gonna be drawn to and you'll have already connections with progressive groups, so it's gonna be natural to wanna build your coalition around like-minded groups or groups that are the most similar. That is, uh, an inclination that successful political reformers know how to resist. It doesn't mean just because you shoot for a broad coalition that you're going to get a broad coalition, but it's a great first step because one, you could actually build a broader coalition which is going to, going to mean you're going to have more endorsers, more resources, more voices to the community, more automatic supporters who come to you through these endorsers. Um, it also potentially means that you're going to have a better idea because uh, what you don't necessarily know back here when you're putting your proposal together is, is this the best idea? You think it's the best idea, but you have your limited perspective. No matter how much reading you've done, no matter how much thought you've done, no matter how much you and your group have talked about this idea, it may just be that when you start to build your potential supporters and you see people like, yeah, you know, I. I like that concept, but I can't really get on board with a, let's say that I had gone with a unicameral proportionally elected system as my first one. You, you could, I could see a potential supporter saying, you know, that's too radical of a change. I, 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 I see what you're saying about a fully district-based winner-take-all system, but um, it's, it, it's too big of a step and it's too scary and also it's too likely to fail if it's too radical of a change. So 
I, my group, me as a leader of this group and we, the board, whatever, we, we could be on board with a different proposal uh, that is less radical and more incremental. Um, now, you might say, nope, this is the one we're going with and this is what we're working towards and you're either with us or you're against us. That's not very good coalition building, but it, it, it's possible. And if you, if you already have a decent base of supporters, uh, the, and the bigger the base of support you have, the more you can say to potential coalition members who are reluctant, like, you know, take it or leave it. This is, this is what it is. You either get on this train or not. We don't really need you. But in general, the most successful reformers are able to actually get more and more people. And what that might mean is changing what your proposal is. So between here and here, right, you could adapt the proposal. And part of the reason why you don't want to skip right ahead to setting up a, a campaign is, yeah, you don't want to alienate people because you're like, here's our ballot measure. You're going to support it? And be like, yeah, no, there's like, I like the concept, but I just can't get to yes on that particular thing. Um, that's going to be a loss. Uh, the, putting the coalition together is going to give you a lot of different perspectives. And in the end, you might actually say, like, you have this radical idea, like, we have to get rid of the bicameral legislature. And we have to get rid of district-based uh, winner-take-all system. So I want a unicameral Oregon legislature that's proportionally elected. That's that's the thing. Like that's what my critique uh, tells me. I'm taking advantage. I'm looking at both problems because it's the bicameral nature and it's the district-based winner-take-all nature. Let's just get rid of that all. You're 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 hellbent on that. And you're like we have a pretty decent mechanism, direct democracy. It's it's a relatively low hurdle to get over for a constitutional change. So let's go. And then you start hearing from potential coalition members that it's too radical, that uh, it's two changes. And also you start hearing from potential coalition members like, yeah, you know, we can't, you can't do this with a ballot measure because it's two changes. You're getting rid of the bicameral legislature and you're getting and you're changing the electoral system. Uh, so you, you could get that sort of more technical perspective as well as a more uh, uh, um, theoretical perspective like that's too radical. So. You have to be willing. And one of the things is, once you've set up a mechanism psychologically, once you've written a ballot measure, given it a name, uh, gotten a campaign headquarters, got a campaign manager and spokespeople, uh, and, and built, started to build some activist energy from, your own, from within your own base of people, um, it's going to be very difficult to turn that ship as you hear more input, uh, both um, sort of organizationally and psychologically. Right? Once you've got a ballot measure written and you know, you've done all the work that goes into doing that and then you start hearing from these other groups that you really want to put their stamp on your, your fantastic idea, you want their, not only their support but their validation and you start hearing that ah, it's, it's too radical, it's, it's not exactly right, we can't sign on, it can be dispiriting and it's also, it can be problematic because you're like, Shh, oh God, now we have to go back to the drawing board? We spent all this time, all this energy writing this ballot measure and you're saying we need to rewrite it? So, Building the coalition first, adapting the proposal if necessary, before you then put together the actual uh, mechanism. Another reason why you build a coalition first is that the nature of the coalition is going to actually uh, impact what your messaging is going to look like. Um, obviously, if you adapt your proposal, your argument is going to change, right? So if, if my original proposal was, Unicameral legislature, proportionally elected, get rid of the bicameral, get rid of the district-based only system, let's just, let's just fix this broken legislative system. And we adapt our proposal to the one I've laid out here, which is uh, bicameral, proportional house, uh, district-based uh, Senate. 
then obviously our argument is going to change. Um, but let's say I'd started with this, and then I have an argument, and messaging kind of flows from this, which is, you know, let's, let's, let's get to a place where Oregon's votes aren't, Oregonians' votes aren't wasted. People are voting for candidates that never win, and they're basically being functionally disenfranchised. If that's what our argument is, then that's going to influence our messaging. We start bringing in coalition members, and uh, they're going to start giving us perspectives on what the problem is. They're going to have a different critique that comes from a different angle. Um, let's say that that we 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 uh, bring in like you know the Democratic Socialist Party uh, or the Libertarian Party um, or the Green Party of Oregon, and the reason why they're excited about this is because uh, they essentially are functionally locked out of getting representation. Uh, part of what is known about a district-based winner-take-all system is that it's a two-party system. It leads to a two-party system, even if you don't regulate a two-party system, it turns into that. Proportional representation leads to multi-party systems. The Green Party of Oregon, the Libertarian Party of Oregon, the Democratic Socialists of Oregon, um, the uh, whatever other the Socialist Party of Oregon. These parties are going to be potential coalition members, even though they're quite different, right? The Green Party and the Libertarian Party do not tend to side on the same things. We're going to build a broad-based coalition, and uh, they have a stake in changing this particular system, and they're going to see things differently, right? Uh, so the, uh, the Green Party might see that, oh, a good argument for people who, 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 who uh, support us is that this is going to provide more opportunities for sound, proactive policy-making choices, because we're going to have a, a house that is made up of a group of people that actually represent not just the dominant two parties and also not just the, the whichever party has the most districts, in this case right now in this moment, the Democratic Party. It's going to represent a policy-making process that takes into account a lot of different perspectives and that's the way to make good policy, is to get buy-in from all the different stakeholders in the entire state. Um, the uh, libertarians might have a different perspective and a different set of messaging and since our goal is to get the most, we, first of all, we need a lot of signatures, and then we need to get more votes than the no side. Our goal is to be able to message as effectively to all of the different groups possible. And again, if we don't have a very broad-based coalition, one, we don't have endorsers, we don't have resources, we don't have automatic voters who are like, well, the Libertarian Party says that, that I should vote for this. I'm not even going to think twice about it. I'm just going to vote for it. Um, it also means that we're going to lack uh, the savvy of messaging in as many different possible ways. Now, as I say this, I'm reminded of one of the challenges of coalition building is not having a muddled message. Because what you want your messaging to be is you want your messaging to be targeted but also cohesive. You don't necessarily need to talk to libertarians exactly the same way you talk to Greens, the same way you talk to democratic socialists, the way you talk to uh, independent moderate voters, but the way that you talk to each of these groups has to fit together, it has to be cohesive. And part of that comes from you know, the strategy that we're going to develop as we build uh, our mechanism. We have to say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get a ballot measure campaign, and what is the mechanism going to require? The mechanism is going to require uh, funding, it's going to require expertise, and then that expertise is going to turn into an actual planned strategy that will become what the campaign does. Right? So in order to 
go through the constitutional direct democratic mechanism, you have to have a ballot measure, and the ballot measure has to be written, and the ballot measure has to be uh, has to survive legal challenges. It has to be registered with the Secretary of State. It has to gather the signatures, and it then has to make uh, a successful yes argument to fifty percent plus one of the voters who vote in that election. That's what it will take to get across the finish line. That is a more complicated uh, endeavor. Now, um, this is a class on political reform, not a class on campaigning. I am currently teaching a class on campaigning, and one of the things that we're talking about in that class is how to get candidates elected, uh, but another thing we're talking about is how to get ballot measures across uh, the finish line, how to get them started and across the finish line. So if you're not in that class, I actually, my recorded lectures for that class and the guest lecture interviews that I have are available um, to everybody. I'm making them all available to the, to not just through D2L to the students in that class. I will put in the notes for this particular class, I'll put some, uh, I'll put links to the campaign class because the, uh, this, this phase, strategy and execution, is one where this is a professional activity. This is where political reformers who tend to be visionary thinkers, who tend to be political innovators, um, they don't always have the political, the professional political skills to do all of these things. You hopefully, you have to have at least, before you get here, this is where the pros really kick in, the professionals are really good at coalition building, you have to yourself be able to do enough coalition building that you can actually then get financial uh, resources and it could be monetary donations or it could be essentially in-kind financial resources where a group that signs on is like, well, yeah, you know, we have, uh, we, we have campaign law lawyers in our organization. We will lend them to you or we will ask them to aid your campaign. That's not a fi direct financial contribution. That's a kind of an in-kind contribution. So there are a lot of mechanics to uh, doing the strategy and execution that I'm not going to get into in this class because I'm teaching an entire campaign class on it. But just know that political reform, like any other form of reform, has to go through the political system. Um, it therefore requires standard political skills and strategies, though it's also harder than doing other kinds of reform because when you're actually using the system to change the system, there's a even more built-in inertia. Right? There are going to be people who actually just even if they think this is a good idea, they're afraid of change. And uh, when you're talking about regular policy, healthcare, education, environment, tax policy, whatever it might be, land use, uh, it's known that, okay, it's hard to make a change, and once you make a change, it's hard to change back, but the statutory mechanism is not so, so uh, big of a deal. You can put something forward, see how it works, and if it doesn't work, you can adapt it or you can, you can repeal it. So people are going to be a little more, uh, a little less risk averse and a little more risk friendly. Uh, when you're talking about political reform, we're talking about a fundamental change. Uh, and people who are political professionals are political professionals within a political system. And so all of their skills, attitudes, connections, uh, habits are all built on that system. And you're asking those political professionals to change the system that they are already successful at. And that's a pretty big ask. Um, but that, and that's one of the reasons why building a coalition is so important is because the more buy-in you can get, and then also the more perspective that you can get, um, it, the, the more likely you are to actually persuade uh, and lure in and compel political professionals who have a stake in the system as it exists 
to put themselves uh, um, in a movement that actually is looking to make the system change. Now, one other thing that tends to happen when you build a broad coalition, and this is again a, a reason why there's a tendency away from wanting to build a broad coalition and to build a coalition of essentially very close like-minded people, is that it's almost certain that some form of adaptation is going to happen to the proposal. Um, and as you begin to try to rope in not just groups that will support and endorse you and provide resources uh, to your movement, but um, as, as you try to get political professionals uh, to, to kick in their help, there's going to be a tendency to want to shave off the more innovative, radical, uh, transformative edges of the proposal. And that can, that can really hurt, right? Like, let's go back. I should have started by saying, we're going to go for a unicameral PR elected legislature for Oregon. We're going to have a radical transformation. Part of the reason why I didn't do that is because I already can foresee why that would be problematic to do. But let's say that this proposal comes from a more sort of radical, you know, burning idealistic perspective uh, than I have at this point in my life. I had that when I was in my 20s, so I know what that feels like. But let's say it came from that point of view. If you jump right to the mechanism and write up a ballot measure and then tr start to try to build a coalition and fundraise, you're going to run into this hedging, this slightly risk averse. Like, no, that's too, like I said earlier, so there are going to be people who are going to say, that's too radical. That's too big of a change. It's too risky. The voters aren't going to like it. I'm a little worried about it. I love the idea. Everything I've read about proportional representation tells me that it is a really good electoral system, that it, that it overcomes a lot of the endemic problems that we have in, with our political, uh, with tribalism and with political, uh, the status quo. So I want it, but too much to ask the voters to, to get down with this radical thing. It's also a little too risky for me. Uh, coalition building will almost always moderate the radicalness of a proposal. Unless the proposal already starts off really, you know, like you've already, you're the kind of thinker who's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build my initial proposal so that it already automatically reaches out to the broadest based coalition. And, and in fact, there are, uh, there are proposals uh, that, are, that are like that from groups that are moderate reformers, right? That, that can sound a little bit oxymoronic, uh, but it's like saying a uh, you know moderate re moderate revolutionary that's oxymoronic a moderate reformer it's not oxymoronic so much as it technically anyway so much as just it does sound a little wimpy but political reform sometimes works when it's asking for a radical change but more often works when it's asking for a slightly less than radical change um, so again coming back to why it's so important to do this and then what is the coalition going to tell us. It's going to actually help us to get a more targeted messaging. Where does the cohesiveness come from? The cohesiveness comes from the fact that even when you have a uh, broad coalition of uh, groups that often don't get along with each other on policy issues, but are all for, for, for uh, good reasons behind this particular political reform, and political reform is actually great because it is the kind of place where you can get people who normally on, are on different sides of policy issues to be on the same side of political reform issues, right? You don't have to have a particular uh, ideological orientation to be against district-based winner-take-all uh, electoral systems. You could come from a variety of different perspectives and think proportional representation is a good thing. Um, but what you're going to then have to do is you're going to have to get a cohesive message because even though you, we have the ability 
uh, with uh, good research and uh, um, polling and focus grouping uh, and targeted social media and targeted uh, you know traditional media to get targeted messages out. Um, it, it, you cannot succeed if you just have this kind of hodgepodge, buffet-style, miscellaneous uh, messaging. There has to be a cohesiveness to it, um, partly so that when somebody who works for your ballot measure campaign uh, goes out and talks to different groups, that they don't have to have, that they're not completely multipolar or bipolar, like, okay, I'm going to talk to the okay, Greens today, and what's the message of the Greens? There has to be uh, a core to that message. Otherwise, there's going to be confusion. You're going to be stepping on yourself. You're going to be you're going to be uh, giving out uh, wrong uh, uh, talking points, and it's going to create a lot of confusion. And part of the thing here's the thing: why the mechanism needs to be built after this, and why the adaptation is such an important piece, and you have to have good quality, targeted yet cohesive messaging as well, is that. A political reform is always asking the voters, if we're using a direct democratic, or it's asking the representatives if we're using a statutory method, it's asking you know, both the voters and the uh, representatives if we're using a constitutional method, it's asking them to get to a yes. Uh, sometimes when you're on a policy, in a policy battle, and somebody else is proposing a change, you're on the no side. Uh, and that's, that's, that is a, a, a great side to be on because no always has an advantage. It's way easier to get voters and representatives to a no than to a yes. And that's because to get a no, all you need to get is one problem with the proposal. And people will be no, one deep enough problem. It doesn't have to be one trivial problem. One deep enough problem to be like, yeah, you know, I don't, I, I don't particularly like that one, right? Um, well, Ohio recently had a uh, marijuana legalization ballot measure that was broadly supported, and yet it lost because the actual ballot measure contained provisions that were essentially going to create uh, an oligopolistic form of marijuana production in the state of uh, Oregon. Instead of opening it up to small growers and all kinds of stuff, there were, I think, five or six different big growers that were going to be given the licenses right away. And the no's, and it could have been people who didn't like that proposal, or it could have been the people who just didn't want marijuana legalized. They focused their no messaging on that problem. And a lot of people who theoretically and abstractly uh, were in favor of legalizing marijuana voted no on that particular kind of measure. When you have a political reform, uh, you are always asking for a yes. And since you're always asking for a yes, you're always vulnerable to multiple no messages. The no's don't have to be cohesive. The no's can simply be targeted. There's no need to be cohesive. Now, if the no side actually can be cohesive, that actually is an even bigger advantage. But um, the no's don't automatically have to be cohesive. Um, you're you're going to lose when you're a political reformer. That's pretty much what you have to go into uh, this endeavor thinking. And I'm not sure how many of you that are on the other side of this camera, as I look at it, are hoping to be political reformers someday. Um, but if you are, you are going to lose unless you are able to do the hardest thing, which is to fundamentally transform our electoral system. And uh, you might win, but basically just go into it knowing you're gonna lose. And the reason you're gonna lose is because there are so many reasons to resist the change that you're asking for. Not the least of which is this, that every political reform will have this uh, attack, which is, it's untested. And the uncertainty 
and the fear that comes with uncertainty. And we're not just asking about a policy here. We're asking to change our democratic system. Um, and even though you might think Americans are casual about our democratic system, we take our right to vote for granted, we don't really pay enough attention to politics, the concept of, our, of democracy is really deeply uh, embedded in our political culture and in our individual uh, consciousness as Americans. And when you say, change the political system, you're not just saying, we need a single-payer uh, healthcare system. Asking to change the healthcare system, a lot of people are like, yeah, the healthcare system sucks. I, of course I want to change it. The political system, even when you say it sucks, there's something that's more deeply scary about changing the political system. Uh, and so the no side is always going to have that particular advantage. So that is why this messaging is going to be so important. And you're not going to get the best messaging unless you already have the multiple perspectives that come from having a broad-based coalition, unless you have the sort of adapted proposal that is almost certainly, unless you're really thoughtful back here at this stage to, in thinking uh, how everything happens, and even more than thoughtful. You have to be more than thoughtful, actually, to, to, to have your initial proposal be the same as your final proposal, because you have to also have the ability to imagine multiple perspectives on an issue. I can imagine what I think is the libertarian perspective on proportional representation, but uh, and then build that concept in. But until I actually start talking to real libertarians who might be like, "Oh no, no, that's not how we think about this at all. We're all we're on your side, but not for the reasons that you think we're on your side. And actually, we're not a hundred percent on your side because your proposal is a little scary to us. We don't like the unicameral legislature because, as libertarians, we're worried about a too fast." Decision policy making process. We we want there to be better. We like the bicameral legislature. We dislike the fact that no libertarians can get elected. It's all either Republicans or Democrats. But we like the bicameral legislature. Like oh, I thought libertarians were people who who hated unnecessary and irrational uh, government. I thought I I thought I already figured out what your perspective was. Sometimes you can nail someone else's perspective. You can get it right, uh, even if you don't have their, their perspective at all. Um, that is certainly possible, but it's often going to happen that you don't actually know what the perspective is. Now, if you feel like I'm uh, sort of hitting hard on the coalition aspect, which I've now underlined three times, I'm about to box, I'm about to start, um, it's because today's class is less about the uh, proposal itself a proportionally elected Oregon legislature, which I, I have a feeling many of you watching this video, whether you're my students or whether you stumbled into this uh, re recording through some other uh, avenue into uh, YouTube, you're, if you've heard of proportional representation, you're probably just like, yes, we need it. It's, a, it's about time. I can't believe that it, it's this hard and it's taken this long to do it. So you're probably already in favor of it. I'm hitting on the fact that when we move from democratic theory, which we talked about last week, uh, to actually trying to make a political reform happen for real in the real world. Um, the, there are theoretical steps, and uh, there is, of course, just the general knowledge of what avenue and what is involved in that avenue, what's the signature threshold, what are the requirements, etc. Um, but you actually then have to win. And winning in politics is fundamentally about building coalitions. Um, a lot of people, I think, think, no, it's about messaging, it's about, it's, it, it's about uh, persuasion, it's, and there is some of that, and I'll double underline this, right? Messaging is definitely important, but you're not going to get, as I, I feel like I'm definitely being repetitive today, you're not going to get a winning message. Uh, you might get a good message, you might get a message you're super satisfied with, but you're not going to get a winning message if you haven't already uh, built a good broad-based coalition that brings in multiple perspectives, and that gives you access to a greater amount of resources 
that helps you build your mechanism so that you can actually then have money to pay strategists, you can have uh, people from a variety of different groups who are, who are there at the table, who are hammering out what the final proposal will be and what the messaging will be. Um, one last word before I wrap up this uh, pretty short lecture actually for, uh, for today. Some, as I said before, sometimes they're gonna be long, sometimes short. I'm feeling this one's skewing on the short side. Um, but the part of the thing about the, a broad-based coalition is that it's really beneficial. And I think I've outlined all the reasons why it's beneficial, at least the major reasons why it's beneficial. It's also, sadly, it's problematic because what you're doing is you're introducing committee thinking into uh, this endeavor. And committees are great at certain things and they're not great at other things. They're definitely great at multiple perspectives. They're definitely great at broadening the support that comes uh, with a particular idea. Committees are not necessarily efficient and they don't necessarily, you know, usually they don't, trend towards cohesiveness. Um, I, you know, I've, I've been in academia for a quarter century, I've been on a variety of different committees. Every committee I've ever been on has been uh, uh, staffed by people who are intelligent, informed, good-hearted, concerned, they really, they, they have a sense of common purpose and common mission. Um, but, and that's actually kind of a best case scenario. I have to say I've been relatively lucky. But there have been committees that are just problematic because uh, they have, people have different perspectives on how to achieve that common mission. Or they have different incommensurate ideas on what they think is the, is the best thing. Or because they have different perspectives, which is a strength, that also means that it's hard to get to that cohesiveness. Like, you know what, I just don't like that we're going to be arguing that this is gonna break the lock of the two party systems because I just don't like the fact that we're taking aim at the Democratic and Republican parties. We, we have to take aim at the two party system, but I, myself, I have a lot of friends who are Democrats. I have a lot of friends who are Republicans, who are what you would call establishment uh, politicians. And the, uh, I don't wanna come at them this hard. And I think it's dangerous to come at them this hard. And then someone else who spent their entire life uh, working with a third party and with being outside the two party system, might be like, but no, we're asking the voters to change our system so that we can get rid of the two-party system. We have to take aim at that. That has to be key to our message. Both of those people want to win. Both of those people want the same reform. Both of those people are coming at this not from some kind of mercenary power play, but from uh, a good-hearted, well-intentioned desire to have this effort win. And they're going to see things differently. And you can smooth over those differences, or you can find a way to either compromise or find that you actually have more common ground than you have disagreement, but that takes time, right? It takes time and also takes a lot of skill. It takes the diplomatic skills of people who are also on the committee uh, or who are, you know, the, the person who assigned the committee, the campaign manager or the, or sort of the, the, the coalition board, to have the patience, have the diplomatic skill to bring all of that stuff together. So political reform can seem very much like what it is, is we have a critique, something's wrong, we develop a proposal that addresses that thing that's wrong, we find our avenue and we put it to the voters, or we put it to the representatives, we put it directly to the people. But there is a lot more nuance to what it takes to win. And if you, know, if you want to be pure, if you want to not compromise on your original idea, if you want to make sure that you're doing the best political reform that's available to us 
in democratic theory instead of some what you'll call watered-down version, you're free to do that, but you're also free to lose. Uh, you're probably going to lose anyway, honestly, even if you do this really well, especially on the first try, right? Um, many political reforms take multiple tries to get enacted. You're probably going to lose anyway, but if you want to stand on principle, if you want to stand on the purity of your original idea, if you want to stand on, like, I know what the right thing is here, then you really are fundamentally asking to lose. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that doesn't mean that you don't want to bring the burning passion of your original idea to this. It means that that passion has to be balanced with that notion that in order to win, I'm not saying you have to betray your principles, but you might have to soften up your principles. And when we're talking about political reform, where you know, a lot of people who, who have political uh, reform proposals, it's, it's about principles for them. It's not about making my life better, right? I'm not gonna get elected to this proportional system. I'm not gonna be able to make more money or to be able to have a more comfortable life or an easier career path because of this proposal. Uh, there are certain policies out there that could do one or all of those things for me, and I'm for this. Usually, when you're for a political reform, you're in it for the principle, and so it could make it that much harder. Like, if you love PR, Proportional representation is like, why don't we have this? Come on. Argh. It's so ridiculous that we have this antiquated system from the 18th century. Um, but if you actually want to have that, then it's going to take some softening. Uh, that's how political reform works. And that, that's why, in the end, because I, you know, this is my, I'm, maybe you could say, well, yeah, Jeff, you're just squishy soft, and that's what you're telling us. Um, that's part of the reason why I started that, I would say, a more broadly acceptable proposal of keeping the bicameral legislature and not turning both of them. We're keeping one half of the status quo, right? The Senate will, the Oregon Senate will remain exactly the same. We're changing only one half of the status quo. Uh, so we're taking, uh, a, this is an incremental proposal. Um, if we had started with something more radical, this step would have made, uh, br either brought us into the direction of more incremental or uh, force us to face the idea that, oh God, I, you know, I, I don't have as many supporters as I wanted, but I want to remain pure to my original vision, and now this is going to make it harder to win. And then on election night, when you lose, you might be like, oh, I regret it. I really, like, people are never going to want proportional representation now that we've, we've botched it, right? Um, so these are all the things that political reformers have to take into account and have to think about. Um, next time, we're going to look at, I honestly don't know, I don't have my syllabus on me, uh, we're going to look at another... Uh, uh, proposal for political reform, and I won't go back over the same ground. What I'm going to do as we move forward in other ones is I'm going to look more at the critique and uh, the argument and what might be uh, a good strategy. But here I just kind of wanted to give you the basic flow of what it takes to go from I have a problem with the political system to being able to get uh, a yes out the other end of it. All right, well, that was a relatively short lecture. Uh, I hope that uh, you appreciate the extra time that you get as a result of it, uh, because it is a beautiful week. I'm looking right out my window right now, and it's beautiful and sunny, and I'm more than happy to shut off my iPhone and get out there in the sun, and I'm more than happy for you guys to be able to shut off whatever device it is that you're listening to this on or watching this on, and hopefully get out into a beautiful day and, and, and some kind of relaxation. All right, until next time, thanks for listening. Bye.